Hey guys, this is Angel Donovan with another episode of DSR for you. If you're new to this podcast and you want to get up to speed really quickly, or maybe you haven't taken our little shortcut here, go check out datingskillsreview.com forward slash get top 13. There we have an audio interview between me and one of our top editors covering the best of advice of all time, 15 years, what we've seen that works the best, who provided this advice, where it comes from, the top experts and the particular programs and so on, everything about it. So to get that, go to datingskillsreview.com forward slash get top 13. And you'll find that that's a quick way to get up to speed. So you know what's going on on this crazy podcast we have here. I also want to say a quick thank you for some new iTunes reviews that have gone up recently. Thank you, guys. This one is from Rick, my man, 12. And he says, excellent, exclamation mark, five stars. I've listened to probably 20 episodes in the last two weeks. Can't get enough. The content is pure gold to the point I would pay for it. And Angel has a great ability to keep guests on track without seeming rude or controlling. Guys can learn a ton just by listening how Angel and his guests interact. Thanks a lot for that, Rick, my man, 12. I really appreciate that. And as you guys know, all of the reviews and ratings on iTunes, they really help the podcast because they get it out to more people because they influence the rankings. So if you haven't done so already, please, please, please do that for us. It really, really does help. It takes just 30 seconds of your time. Go into iTunes, go to the show and click rating, put five stars. And if you've got time, put some feedback and I'll read it out on the show because I love to say thank you to you guys for doing this. Okay, so the topic today is something that I know is hyper important. I know in our coaching and interactions with students that this is a key pain point for you guys, for a lot of you. As soon as you've fixed the foundations and you're meeting and dating women, a lot of men in their 20s and 30s and even older come up against this problem. It's how do I maintain my honesty and my integrity, but get what I want and not hurt the girl or woman in front of me because I don't want to hurt them. So typically this is where you don't want to be super serious in relationships and you feel like the girl does want to be super serious. She, she wants to get into long-term relationship only and you don't. And so your problem there is how do you maintain that honesty and integrity without hurting her? And that's what we're going to answer today. Virtually every guy comes up against this and it's a really important thing to fix because it leads to much greater satisfaction for you. You're going to be much happier. You're going to feel better about yourself. You're going to have higher self-esteem, which will actually lead to better dating qualities. You're going to get better quality women and so on a little bit naturally because of that, right? So it's hyper important. Today's guest introduces us to his experience and long-term perspective on how he has remained polyamorous, dating multiple women, casually or otherwise, while and having multiple relationships without sacrificing his integrity and his honesty. It's a great in-depth interview, lots of detail in it, it's a bit longer than usual, so that's great. I enjoyed this chat a lot. So the guy we have on today is Johnny Soprano. So that's a bit of a take on Johnny Soprano. He took his name because it looks he looks a little bit like Tony Soprano from The Sopranos. So that's James Gandolfini, who passed away in June 2013, unfortunately. Uh, a lot of you will have watched that show, and so you'll recognize him when you see the photo of Johnny Sopono, who looks quite similar to that. He has a lot of life experience, this guy, and he's really seen a lot in life, and he hasn't held back from exploring everything. And that really comes across in his interview. So 
he's a great person to have as a mentor. He's seen a lot of things. He can walk you through a lot of the problems and things he's and the challenges he's taken on. So I think that's a good point to make. Through the Worthy Playboy Institute, which is his organization, he's talking and doing seminars for a very long time also, all over the world, actually. He's been to Russia, Eastern Europe, and all sorts of places. And he continues to hold these big coaching events in Las Vegas every year, quite intensive events. So his tagline is enlightening men, emancipating, that's freeing women. So very much something he proposes as a win-win solution to men and women's relations. So he's not trying to get you everything you want and not help the girl out. He, he believes fundamentally that his work is helping both men and women, right? So you, as you can imagine, he's very passionate about it. He has a lot of conviction about it. He's not conflicted. He really feels that he's putting this information out that we're going to listen today and it's making everyone's lives better. And as you know, that's pretty much what DSR, that's how we focus on it too. So it's great to have him on the show. Now, most importantly, he has been living and experiencing this lifestyle openly for a very long time. His girlfriend, Violet, is also very open about it. So it's one of the examples where you can actually see honest communication from two people in a relationship who live their life this way. So if you Google him or you look at the references in the show notes, you're going to see you know, videos of his girlfriend and him talking and so on. So you can actually see and experience like what he's talking about. Okay, so if you want some done-for-you show notes, as we always provide, you can go to the blog datingskillsreview.com forward slash podcast and pick out this episode. And then we have the transcript. We have the links for everything we mentioned on the show, any programs, dating, uh, dating products, or anything else that Johnny Soprano has, and also his bio and other information. You can also get that in your email inbox. If you go to datingskillsreview.com forward slash newsletter, sign up there, and then you'll get all of these show notes. It's done for you stuff to make it easier every time a show comes out. Without further ado, let's get into this interview with one hell of an experienced guy. Enjoy. I'm Angel Donovan, and this is the Dating Skills Podcast. This is a 14-year ongoing mission to discover the truth about what works in dating, sex, and relationships, to become a better man. Join me as I leave no stone unturned, chase down every expert, role model, and mentor with insights to get us to that goal as fast as possible. This show is about bringing you the best of that information so that you can take it in and change your life for the better, step by step, episode by episode. Welcome, Johnny. After what seems like many, many hours of audio troubles, both of our sides, we are finally here. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate your patience in working through our technical difficulties. <laughs> so let's give the audience a little bit of an idea of who you are and where you come from. So how old are you? Where do you live? What is your relationship and social lifestyle like today? Excellent questions. Okay, well, first of all, I'm Johnny Soporno. I live both in Toronto, Canada and Las Vegas, Nevada, and I am 46 years old, although you might have to cut me in half and count the rings to verify that. In any event, I live with a, an absolutely delightful girl who's about 13 years younger than me. I often explain I had her custom manufactured to my precise specifications and could not be happier with the purchase by using every last dollar of my bar mitzvah money. And that explains, of course, her age and why I'm so satisfied with the purchase. But uh, sometimes people will say to me, why didn't you order more of them? And the answer, of course, is I used every last dollar. What's wrong with you people? Don't you listen? 
I have a fantastic relationship with an absolutely delightful lady whom I love dearly, who is currently going by the name Annie May. And in fact, if anyone's interested, you can check out AnnieMay.com. That's A-N-N-I-E-M-A-Y.com. Annie May is also a term for Japanese animation, spelled slightly differently. Yeah. Is that what she does or is it something else? No, no. She's uh, started doing uh, erotic cosplay. Okay. And as a consequence, we decided that anime was a perfect name for her. Her name is now Anime Cosplay, and uh, she's having a lot of fun. And I get to take a lot of photos of her being tremendously sexy in tiny Japanese anime sort of hentai outfits and things. And life is good. So to answer your question, my relationship with my beloved, which is now in its 10th year, is fantastic. When we met, she was an aspiring porno starlet, worked and has become quite well established as a porn star, and now has moved into this new area as the porn industry has been eating itself and becoming less and less amenable to uh, operating as a successful interest. So I have been a management consultant for the majority of my professional career. I kind of wear a number of hats. I have a management consultancy practice that I've been operating for over 20 years. I've also been a relationship counselor and sex therapist for about that long. Uh, I am a psychotherapist, but not formally a psychologist because I didn't follow that chain of education. I have since learned, as far as I can tell, quite a bit more about psychology than most of the people who will bandy around that term and uh, have ultimately become what I like to call a stand-up philosopher. And I travel around the world lecturing to both corporate and educational groups and uh, men's and women's issues groups, teaching them things about lifestyle philosophy so that they can be happier and have better intimate and overall relationships with people of the genders they prefer. That's perfect for this podcast. That's a great fit. That's what we're always trying to achieve here. So I wanted to get a bit of clarity about your relationship. Is it an open relationship? Oh, certainly. As far as I'm concerned, the only kind of relationship that has any chance of longevity or any chance of uh, endurance is one in which openness is the key aspect. But I should point out that the term open relationship has been hijacked and misunderstood tremendously. Uh, I'm a well-established advocate for open relationships, but the openness isn't about open zipper or, or open legs. It's about open communication. The key element of an open relationship is that nothing is suppressed or hidden. I'll tell you an interesting thing, Angel. About 50% of first marriages these days are recorded as failing within the first seven to 10 years. 50% of first marriages fail and end in divorce, which is only scary when you think about the other 50% end in death. On a serious note, uh, 50% end in divorce, and in truth, it would probably be a much higher number based on the fact that second marriages have an almost 80% divorce rate. Uh, it would be a lot higher for first marriages if more people were confident enough to, when they recognized they were in a bad circumstance, get themselves out of it. Yeah. I think a lot of people stay in marriages despite the fact that they've made a tremendous error in judgment. And I'll explain ultimately the most important aspect of that. The reason why so many marriages fail and so many people are unhappy in their relationships is that almost everybody marries a stranger. Almost everybody, for the duration of the courtship at least, spends most of their time desperately hiding who they actually are and instead attempting to appear to their partner to be the way they imagine their partner needs them to be. 
during the courtship, the man imagines what he thinks his beloved requires. And in order to be able to be sufficient for her, he goes through the motions of pretending to be the way that she needs him to be based on only what he imagines she needs. And you say this is happening from both sides, correct? The woman's hiding things as well. Absolutely. In fact, uh, in my long tenure as a marriage counselor and relationship counselor, I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you the number of clients I've had where when I've spoken with them independently and individually, they have both told me that they have particular fetishes or interests or things that they would desperately like for their partner to be able to do with them. But the idea of talking to their partner about it was so horrifying, they could never imagine that their partner would possibly be able to put up with this, whereas both of them are talking about precisely the same thing, both of them mistakenly projecting onto their partner that their partner wouldn't be into it, when in fact, if only they spoke up, they could be in the happiest relationship possible. The number of men who said, oh, I wish I could be dominant with my wife, but she would never allow it. And the number of women who said, oh, I wish my husband would be more dominant with me, but I could never ask him. <laughs> it's, it's staggering. It blows my mind. I had one couple many years ago who were uh, a lesbian marriage. We've had that in Canada for quite a while, a lesbian marriage, who were suffering from what is commonly referred to as LBD or lesbian bed death. It's where the sex has entirely left the relationship, just the affection and, and being in the same bed and holding each other. But there's no urge for sex. And so years will go by without actually either of them having sex. But during the first few years of their relationship, they were having a lot of sex. And I spoke to them each independently. And each one of them told me something I found really surprising. Each one of them told me that during their marriage, their partner had never gotten them off, not even once. But they both took great pleasure in the fact that they always got their partner off. So if you want to think about that, we are talking about a couple of women, each one of whom faked an orgasm to satisfy their partner, each one of them delighted that at least they got their partner off. So neither had orgasms at their partner's hands. Both of them lied to themselves because they were being lied to by their partners. So it sounds like when you're talking primarily about sexual self-expression, is, is that the main area where you think people are hiding? I would say that the vast majority of people hide themselves across the board. It, it is significant to note, and I don't know if, if this has become a common concept, but I came up with something com some years ago I call Marx's Paradox. And Marx's Paradox is named for the brilliant philosopher Groucho Marx. Not that commie fellow, but Groucho Marx, great American comedian, he said, I'd never belong to a club that would have a guy like me as a member. And men are raised from childhood with the idea that they should never belong to a club that would have them as a member only in the context of dating. In other words, no one thinks I would never work for a boss foolish enough to hire me. No one ever thinks I'd never have a friend who's stupid enough to trust me as a friend. However, for some reason, we've been raised with the idea that any woman who we did not have to pretend to be on our best behavior for, who we did not have to pretend to be bigger than we were, grander than we were, who would go to bed with us, was too easy. We started with the notion that any woman who would go to bed with us was not good enough for us. Again, a paradox. So the vast majority of men go through their time desperately trying to be more impressive, or at least appear more impressive, so they can get the kind of woman who wouldn't be into them. And then, of course, when they get that woman, they have the problem of now needing to live up to the way they've presented themselves throughout the entire relationship. And if they can't, 
they know that either they will be chucked out or much more likely they will be insidiously chopped down constantly by their beloved who's insisting they should be the way they presented themselves as being in the first place. And they'll do that through nasty passive-aggressive manipulations and one of the great gifts of womankind, total grievance recall. Every woman remembers every single event that someone has ever done that was unhappy or dissatisfying so she can throw it back in their face if a time ever comes up that she has been misbehaving or she wishes to control their partner. Great. I just want to clarify one point on this open relationships. It sounds like you're talking, we've had many polyamorists and people from that vein on this show talking about polyamory and open relationships. Do you include having different partners? It's not a monogamous relationship. Or are you purely talking about the communication aspects? Let's actually step through that. It's a great question. I don't consider myself polyamorous, and I know that Violet doesn't consider herself polyamorous. I do love a great number of people of both genders. I am sexually interested only in those who turn me on, and to this day, I've only ever found myself turned on by women. So while I'm open to the possibility of someday meeting some guy who turns me on, it hasn't happened. I'm not holding my breath. Meanwhile, when I meet someone who is exciting or interesting, hot and cool at the same time, where the intensity is high, then, of course, I want to tell my best friend about it. And my best friend happens to be my life partner, the lady I sleep with virtually every night, the lady whom I'm delighted to consistently be invited back to bed by, because she is my best friend. And one of the things that's conspicuous is, and, and this, in fact, comes right back to what we were talking about a moment ago about why 50% of first marriages end in divorce. In the entirety of my relationship with Violet, I do not believe I've ever told her anything I did not believe was true. Openness in the sense of glasnost, transparency, is a key element. So, of course, I let her know when I find someone hot. I let her know when someone seems receptive to me. She lets me know whether or not she's comfortable with it or feels threatened. Since she knows that I could have essentially any woman I'd like, and I know that she could certainly find any man in the world to crawl over glass on his belly to get to her, since we both know that we have a universe of infinite choices. The fact that we keep coming back to one another over and over and over again is so powerful, it's so clear that our emotional and relationship momentum leads us back to one another, that neither of us feels threatened by the others having a good time without us. It's also significant to note that Violet is fabulously bisexual and tends to be into primarily the kinds of girls I am, which is a great arrangement. When your best friend with whom you have no secrets, with whom you have a relationship that requires absolutely no work. And when I say work, I mean the investment of unpleasant effort that you would otherwise not choose to do. And almost every relationship, everyone insists, a relationship takes work, a marriage takes work, to which I say, that's crazy bullshit. The only time a relationship takes work is when you're not being yourself and you're not accepting your partner. Your relationships with your best friends don't require work because they work on their own. I agree. I agree. So I just, I just want to clarify, are you guys sleeping with other people or is it more like a monogamy? Just to focus a discussion. I love what you're saying about relationships and we're going to dive into that in a second. Violet is my primary. Yeah. She's the person with whom I would share a home and a bed on a routine and regular basis. Yeah. She is also totally comfortable and confident about my many, many, many secondary relationships and the occasional tertiary relationship. 
So both of us have other partners. In fact, an obligation that she took on when we became partners was to follow what I refer to as my two rules. My two rules are actually fairly well known. I've been sharing these for a long, long time. In fact, if you type in Soporno and two rules on any search engine, you'll find this article. It's a very straightforward thing. I have two rules for every woman with whom I'm involved. The first rule is I will not be any woman's only male partner, period. Every woman I'm involved with must have other playmates. So that's because you know your nature and your nature. I know my nature. And more importantly, I know the nature of women. I understand the nature of women. Women have not evolved to be sexually exclusive. Sexual exclusivity is absolutely foreign to the human. There are, in fact, only a couple of mammals we know of on the earth where sexual exclusivity exists. Even birds, long considered to be the miracle of fidelity, have an overwhelming rate of extra-parent coupling or non-paternity children. This is to say they pair bond for life and then they sneak out just like humans do. I often point out that if human beings in nature met up and pair bonded for life sexually, there would be no such word as marriage. There would be no such word as infidelity or cuckoldry. These words wouldn't exist because they would never have been required. I realize we may just have jumped over a few terms that uh, some people may not understand. First of all, I'm not sure we've covered primary, secondary, or tertiary. I get what you mean. I'll explain it very straightforwardly. Violet is, for all intents and purposes, my wife. Yeah. We have each other's names on our credit lines. We have access to each other's bank accounts. We have integrated our worlds. We are life partners. I insist that Violet also have other playmates. I insist this in part because I know I'm going to have other playmates. And I need for her not to become jealous or possessive or resentful. I also know that she appreciates that when I'm not with her, I'm very likely with somebody else. Sometimes people say, why would you want your partner to have other playmates? And I answer it very straightforwardly. If I were to presume that the standard model, two people meet up and make a deal. They form a union. The union exists like all unions do to protect poorer performers from the hazard of competition from better ones. So in the union, the rule is I will grant myself exclusively to you in exchange for which you will grant yourself exclusively to me. And what is an inevitable byproduct is that eventually one or both sides feels taken for granted, which is, of course, the death knell of any relationship. So instead, I look at it entirely differently. I say, if I were the greatest cook in town and I had met Violet, I said, what's your favorite meal? And she said, lasagna. I said, I make the best lasagna you've ever tried. And she tried it and discovered it was true. And I said, here's the deal, babe. I'm going to make lasagna for you for breakfast, lunch, dinner, midnight snack. Anytime you have an urge to eat, I will make lasagna for you. The best you've ever had. All you have to do is never, ever, ever have anything else. And even if she were to say, wow, sounds like a great deal, Johnny, (laughs) I will throw away my right to choose in exchange for having what I believe right now to be the best option. After a little while, anything aside from lasagna would start to sound good. As a matter of fact, after a little while, my urge to continually try to make better and better lasagna would disintegrate as I'd realize my lasagna, no matter how well I made it, had just become food meal. Okay, Nothing special about it, even if it was the best she ever had. It would not please her. And so I would feel taken for granted, underappreciated, and abused. 
Similarly, if she were to walk out the door and try something else, and she might even really enjoy it, but then she realized, you know what? This is not as good as lasagna. I really love lasagna. She'd come home, and I would make lasagna and feel appreciated. So instead of waiting for that to happen, I start with a very simple fundament. Hey, babe, I will make your lasagna anytime you like, anytime. Try anything else you like. In fact, try lasagna at other people's places so that you know why you keep coming back. I will do everything I can to remain your best option, ensuring that you recognize that you're making the choice to be with me so that you also recognize you must be my best option because there's always a queue out the door of people waiting to try my lasagna. This is so powerful for both of us. So as I say, rule number one is I won't have any partner who only has me as a partner. If Violet or anyone else were to say, oh, but Johnny, you're the only one I want. You're the only one who does it for me. I'm so into you. And Go do what you've got to do. That's fine. I'll be fine. You could do what you've got to do just so long as I can still get a piece of that. Problem is that never plays out. It always happens that someone becomes very angry and anxious and resentful if they feel they're getting a small portion of something they want because someone else controls access to it. So primary means priority. Whenever she asks, would you, like, she wants to spend time with you this weekend, you had plans with a secondary, but you would say, okay, no, it's my primary, had kind of reserved that time. Generally speaking? Right. Absolutely. In fact, I'll put it into the perfect example. My primary has first dibs and can presume she'll be spending time with me unless I tell her in advance that I had plans to do something else or I'd like to make plans to do something else. So if I say to Violet, hey, uh, Catherine's coming in from out of town. I'd like to pick up at the airport. She's staying at the so-and-so, so-and-so. If it's all the same to you, I'll probably spend the night. Is that cool? She'll say, okay, no worries. I will find something to do with my time, by which she means someone to do most likely. But actually, to be honest, it's so, so hard for a woman to find a guy who is bedworthy, whereas it's so easy for men. That in truth, Violet has a small number of routinely available playmates who she hooks up with because finding someone new is very tricky. It's the easiest thing in the world. If she were to meet someone cool and fun, and she does sometimes, most often she'll meet couples who are cool and fun because she is, from their perspective, the perfect unicorn. She is a beautiful sexy bisexual girl who will enjoy them both and not make any maneuvers to try and break up their relationship. So when she meets a couple and she's going to go and have a good time, I say, knock yourself out. If it turns out that they're cool with my being a participant, I'll participate. While I'm not interested in having sex with the other guy, I'm more than happy to have sex with girls with another guy helping me have sex with those girls by doing other things with them. So I often explain, as long as his testicles are shaved so that mine and his won't end up in a Velcro-like connection when we're double penetrating someone, then I'm fine. <laughs> sure. Are you guys, we've had a few people from the Swinger community on, it sounds like you get involved in that community sometimes? I'll be fair. Most Swingers, I have found, are accidentally trapped in a long-term relationship with someone whom they absolutely adore, but with whom there's no longer any sexual connection. And so in order to maintain their happy relationship with their partner, with whom they rarely actually have sex all alone, they both have decided they want to keep the relationship going, but they also want to satisfy their sexual needs. So they hook up with other people so that they can have sex. And this is where, in fact, what's happened is they have inadvertently become essentially siblings 
sharing a bed. They've become so familiar, such a family connection between the husband and wife, that now they don't want to break up, but they have no sexual interest in one another. The trouble domain is that when swingers hook up with new people, it is extraordinarily likely that one or the other will become infatuated with someone new they've connected with. So I, I don't consider myself a swinger. I have been welcomed into the swingers quote, lifestyle community. I appreciate and value the notion. But Violet and I, once again, consider ourselves free agents who invariably choose to be back with the other within very little time. In other words, if we're in the same city at the same time, we can expect we'll probably end up in the same bed, that we also have other options, that we also have other beds we could be in, and many other people we could connect with, is actually tremendously gratifying because it proves to us why we're with each other, that we choose again and again and again and again to be with one another. Would you say you also grow? From these external relationships, it strikes me if you put yourself in a cocoon for 20 years with, with one partner, you've got a lot less stimulus to grow, to expand, to get more creative. That is a brilliant way to say it. Absolutely, I feel so. The way I look at it is, if Violet were to go out and try someone else's lasagna and discover there was some aspect of it that was really great, without question, she would tell me about it. And I would be totally open to it because, after all, the open communications is tremendously validating. She says, oh, he used a special whatever. Sounds great. Let me see if I can find out how to do that, too. Because any way I can improve is wonderful. And when I go off and I prepare my lasagna for some stranger whose mind is blown, that's very gratifying, too. Sometimes they'll say, oh, wow, that was amazing. Hey, listen, have you ever heard of this kind of flavoring? Because it would really add to it. I've had it with other people. I say, sounds great. I'll give it a shot. Each one of us is consistently experiencing new things. I constantly tell people, if you learn how to play chess from your dad, and by the time you can beat him, you go out and you play chess with a stranger, odds are very good you get your ass handed to you because all you've learned was how to play with one person. So this is a lot more like when you're sparring or learning martial arts. In fact, that's why I refer to my business as marital arts training. Is that how you, how you call it now? It sounds like your type of open relationship doesn't really fit in with the standard models, right? It doesn't fit in when we're swinging. It doesn't fit in with the standard polyamory models. It is accepting of them. It interfaces with them. But in truth, my version of open starts from the premise that every person must be loyal to themselves first. Because if they are not loyal to themselves... No one has any reason to trust them. So starting with the idea of being loyal to yourself and always looking out for what you believe is in your best interest, your partner, who also is looking out for themselves, if they believe having you in their life is important to them, will do whatever they need to to ensure that you continually choose to be back in their life or to remain in their life. Each one is obligated to be their partner's best option. Because they have not ever made a deal that says, I'm going to stop looking around for something better. I'm not going to settle for anything. As long as you continue to be my best option, you can be sure I'll be here because that will make me the happiest. And entirely selfishly, entirely self-invested, I go after the things that will make me feel the most wonderful, the things that will make me feel the best about myself. So if I were, by my nature, able to feel the same kind of powerful love that I have for Violet for other people, I would describe myself as polyamorous. In truth, I have 
awful lot of love and, and affection and appreciation for a whole bunch of people. Their happiness is essential to mine. If I observe they're having a hard time, I feel the urge to try to help because I care. I cannot bear to watch someone I love miserable. That's it. So the, the secondaries are ongoing relationships as well, right? It's not one month, it's potentially years or months or years. I have some secondary relationships that predate my relationship with Violet. I have girlfriends I've been seeing for 20 years. And the tertiary? You mentioned the tertiary relationships. I'm guessing that's hookups or what would that be? Yeah, it's hookups, maybe hookups that happen from time to time where it's clear to me, I have to tell you, I think Violet has licked my semen off the faces of the overwhelming majority of my, of my secondary relationships. She and I have been to bed with most of my playmates. Every once in a while, I'll meet someone new, and she'll be hot, and we'll get along well, and she'll be into me, and I'll charm the pants off of her, and we'll decide to go to bed. Now, of course, she knows about my relationship with Violet. I'm extraordinarily clear about that. And in fact, Violet has recorded something for women I meet up with, which is online on, on YouTube in which she explains that she's encouraging them to have a good time with me. Is that a private video? Oh, if anyone wants to go to unicorntrainers.com, okay. I think uh, unicorntrainers or unicornbreeders.com, I think we have a bunch of those domains, they'll find it. It's a little video. Violet is speaking very candidly. She recorded it for me while I was out of town of her own design. She said, I'm going to do this because this will make life easier for Johnny. So to, to address this the right way, as I say, marital arts is the kind of mastery I try and help people reach. Ironically, I have the trademark on marital arts, maritalarts.com and marital arts and mixedmaritalarts.com, which I feel is something I have to be developed. The idea that a person starts out with a faulty premise how relationships are supposed to work is overwhelmingly true. Almost everyone watches their parents lying to one another or fighting, breaking up horribly and uh, having tremendous acrimony as well as a lot of alimony. The models that people have of how relationships are supposed to work are stupid. Because they don't match between what they see on TV about how things are supposed to be and how things actually are in the real world, there's a profound disconnect. And the idea that people are supposed to meet the perfect person and settle down for the rest of their lives is untenable. Now, I see an awful lot of miserable people all the time, and it makes my heart break because, as I say, I'm a very compassionate person. I would do anything I could to encourage people to feel as good about themselves as they can. Now, with regards to primary relationships, because I'm not fundamentally polyamorous, I can only have one primary relationship. The secondary relationships are ongoing, loving relationships with people I treasure. Sometimes they'll end up getting married and disappear off my active roster for some time, but I don't have any ex-girlfriends, just girlfriends in remission. I think that's an interesting concept. I mean, I think a lot of people have ex-girlfriends and when you have an, a more open way of living, those relationships don't tend to get closed off. Whereas in the normal world, people feel like they have to physically close off those relationships once they're ended. And also because they, I think it's also due to the pain. They feel too much pain to have those people around. Sure. But, but you got to start from the premise that almost everybody believes that they can either be friends or they can be lovers. And the truth is, I am lovers with almost all my female friends. Maybe not often, maybe not lately. But it is pretty much an inevitability that two mature adults of appropriate to one another's gender preference, who spend a lot of time together and really get to know each other, will eventually fall into bed. And so presuming 
and therefore treating every woman as though I am her lover, pretty soon I become one. Now, this is a very comfortable thing. I've said this forever. Treat every woman as though you were sleeping with her, and pretty soon you will be. Now, the amazing part about it is women love this. They love having someone as a friend whom they actually believe they can trust, because overwhelmingly, women don't tend to trust one another. Many women, I cannot tell you how many women have told me over the years that they simply don't have any more female friends because they can't trust them. Yeah, there's a researcher called Mayan Fisher. She she studies intrasexual competition. We had her on a previous interview. You might want to check it out. That fits very well with, with what I gladly. It is an interesting thing. I was speaking at something called the Real Man Conference in 2008. There were about 1,200 people in the audience, uh, about 1,100 males and 100 females. And one of the things I spoke about, I said, how many of you in the audience, please put up your hands if you have any close, dear personal friends whom you do not believe you can trust? And most of the people in the audience looked at each other going, well, I don't understand. How, what, those words don't fit together. How can you have a close personal friend you don't believe you can trust? There were about 100 hands in the air. And I said, if you have your hand in the air and the close personal friend you have whom you do not actually believe you can trust is female, please lower your hands. And all the hands went down. And I pointed out that women, men get furious with women because women will do things like make a date with them and then stand them up. They flake. They do this to women all the time too. Every woman knows that other women have been raised from childhood with this notion. Your job is to keep people happy. And the best way to keep people happy is tell them what they want to hear. So if a guy asks you out to a movie, you could tell him no, and then he'll feel bad and you'll feel bad for that. Or you could tell him sure, which he'll feel well. And all you have to do to not have to go to the movie is not take his phone calls. In other words, women learn from a very early age that it's much, much easier to tell everyone yes but until you learn how to tell someone no confidently and comfortably, when you say yes, it can't mean anything. And this applies to both genders. Until a person learns to be confident enough in themselves to say no when they mean no, it can't possibly mean anything when they say yes. So since every girl grows up knowing that her job, her job is to keep people happy, and most particularly, keep her sponsor happy. And her sponsor usually takes the form of daddy. And daddy will always be happy with her so long as she's not doing the things that he considers misbehaving. And women learn from a pretty early age from their mothers and sisters and from other people's mothers and sisters that what daddy doesn't know won't hurt him. And so in order to live within the constraints that society puts on women regarding their being little princesses and virginal until they're married, Girls learned very quickly that the right answer to the question is, of course not. I wasn't doing whatever it is you think I was. So they learned very quickly that their job is to lie to their sponsor. Because, of course, when they come home, having just pulled a train sexually for a bunch of guys in the football team, and they walk through the door at 2 a.m., and their father says, where were you? We were having sex. They know to logically equivocate. They say, oh, daddy, how could you ask such a question? I don't even have a boyfriend. You know that. And that may well be true. She doesn't have a boyfriend. This doesn't mean she didn't just have sex with six guys, but she doesn't have a boyfriend. Daddy says, oh, I'm sorry, honey. Okay, you go to sleep. We'll talk tomorrow. Because, of course, she's now diffused the problem by addressing an entirely different fact and being clear. It's like, did you sleep with anyone while I was out of town, honey? Of course not. Thinking to herself, we were too busy fucking to get any sleep. 
the nature of women as we've raised them as a culture is for them to appreciate their job is to keep people happy by telling what they want to hear and that not getting caught misbehaving is exactly the same thing as behaving well. A girl grows up knowing that her job, her responsibility is to keep daddy happy by telling him what he wants to hear and not letting him believe anything that would make him unhappy. And then as long as she's wearing daddy's last name, she's daddy's responsibility. Someday she will happily transfer over responsibility to someone else whose last name will replace daddy's. And then that person becomes her sponsor and his job as his taking over from daddy, he becomes hubby. And of course, in the same way as keeping hubby happy by not letting him hear about or learn about or believe she's misbehaving becomes her model. Knowing this, the open relationship solves the problem when the girl recognizes that you're not taking on responsibility as her sponsor, giving her the right to do what she wishes as long as she keeps me in the dark. In fact, I say, I am utterly permissive. Anything you want is fine. There are no restrictions. You just have to be clear about it. If we ever reach a point where something that you need to do or want to do is something unacceptable to me, I'll tell you, it's unacceptable to me, and then we can choose no longer to be together. I am the most intolerant person you'll ever meet. I consider toleration to be self-sabotage. To tolerate something is to consider it unacceptable, but give it a pass. You tolerate something when it's absolutely not acceptable, but you're going to pretend it's okay. Instead, I accept basically everything. But if a girl says, you know, I've really gotten into the habit of vivisecting live babies, I'll say, honey, I can't accept that. I'm not going to tolerate it. I got to go. So either I embrace and accept whatever it is as it is with no blinders, or I don't accept it and I move on. This has made my life incredibly easy. Either it's acceptable, which is overwhelmingly the universe of possibilities or unacceptable. And the only really unacceptable thing is dishonesty. Well, I mean, this gets us into a bit of conundrum. Basically, what you've been saying is that most women grow up learning not to tell the truth because it's going to be easier for everyone involved. Absolutely. So when you first meet a woman, I'm assuming you feel like this is all women. Well, most women, 95%. Or- uh, let, let's change it. When I meet a new woman, I presume that she has been misprogrammed by society the same as almost all other women. I presume that she's going to tell me primarily what she wants me to hear and wants me to believe. And I tell her the only thing I care about is knowing the truth as she sees it. And that the easiest thing is to be clear with me that there is no wrong answer. I will accept whatever it is she's comfortable with. Are these the actual words you use? Because I know the guys at home are going to be like, I can't just come out and say that. Very you know, when, I, when I meet a girl in a bar, how are things going to progress if I want to take this new tact to starting relationships? Oh, that's a wonderful question. And thank you for it. Uh, you've just put me back on track perfectly. The answer is the first mission of every man. And I say this very clearly because I consider the people who take this on to be what I refer to as manumissionaries, people who have taken on the job of manumitting people. To manumit them is to emancipate them, to free them from slavery. And society enslaves women. It starts with some really screwed up premises. It starts with the notion that a girl who does what she wants for her own reasons, 
clearly has no self-respect. In other words, if a woman chooses to have recreational sex with someone because she enjoys them and not because of what she can get out of them or because they've committed to take care of her forever, other people will decry her in nasty ways. Other people will say, well, look at that girl. She's having sex. She's giving herself away for nothing, which proves she has no self-respect. And as soon as a person buys into the idea that a woman's having sex is her giving something away for nothing, or having sex is always a, an exchange. Oh, he took me out to the movies. He paid for the babysitter. He paid for everything. Well, this, so it's okay. As long as I'm bringing in, it's okay that I'm putting out. So as long as women accept the notion that they must be paid for sex, then it's okay. But if they ever have sex purely because they wish to, they must feel tremendously guilty about themselves. They will self-describe as slutty because they had sex to suit themselves. And so I say to men, if you help women to recognize that you will not condemn them because they do what makes sense to them, you will not condemn them because they are honest and forthright and clear and doing things to best serve themselves, then women become free. They go, holy shit. The question that women ask me constantly is, why aren't more men like you? And I say with absolute sincerity, I'm working on it. My job is to help enlighten men so we can emancipate women because free women will do what they like. And free women will like men who will let them be as naughty as they'd like to be. So to answer your question, if I meet a new girl, we're having a conversation. One of the things I'll usually talk to her about is what I call my seductive reasoning paradigm. I will point out that in our society, women are divided into two parts. On the one side, there's the woman who does what she wants to for her own reasons, who chooses not to settle down, not to get married or have children, and therefore is decried by her parents and friends. They say, you're going to be an old maid. What are you going to do? You're not going to find someone to take care of you. But this girl may, in fact, be completely comfortable because she can provide her own security. She does not need to outsource her security to another person. So she's a free person. Meanwhile, we say about that woman because she's having sex to suit herself and not because she's getting a commitment of security from someone else. She's not getting a payment. She's not getting a promise of, of ongoing anything. She's doing it because she enjoys it. Other women consider her a fantastic threat because she's giving away what they've been raised to believe they have to sell. So she's become a union scab, undercutting the sexual cartel. So other women have a nasty, nasty four-letter word they'll, hail, they'll hail, throw at her, and I get the women I speak to to tell me what that word is, and invariably they come up with slut. Sometimes they'll start with, start with horror. I say, no, 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 a horror is one who's explicitly paid for sex. I'm talking about someone who gives herself away for nothing and therefore we know has no self-respect. They say, oh, a slut. I'll say, okay, so let's start with, we have one camp of women, the sluts, the ones who give themselves away for nothing and therefore have no self-respect. On the other side, we have women who have self-respect. They would never give themselves away for nothing. They always charge for it. And what's the word for a woman who charges for it? Oh, yes, whore. So we've now nicely divided in society's eyes. This is not me. This is the way you came up with these words. You recognize this to be true. And I'm very clear about this to women. I also make sure they use the words first. I say, okay, so if we have the women who choose to do their own thing for their own reasons, we condemn them. We say, bad girls, unwanted. But these girls who have sex because they're getting a reward, maybe the reward is, he fixed my brakes, or he 
filed my taxes for me or he got me a better job or he took me and bought me diamonds or or he promised to love me forever or any other form of security we say okay it's okay if you do that but really you don't want to be one of those low status whores you want to be a contract whore you want a very small number or only a single client who will provide for you forever and in order to get that kind of client relationship you have to make sure that men know that they can't get access to your sex unless they're prepared to contract with you for it guaranteeing you support for your entirety and for any of your offspring who they will presume are their own we have a nasty four-letter word for that sort of woman too like i said we call her a wife and when you describe this to women they all nod furiously recognizing the evil of society that women have been taught by their mothers and fathers and you're going to love this daddy says don't hook up with him. He just wants to get into your pants. Hold out for that guy who wants to take care of you for the rest of your life and provide for you and your children. Because after all, I raised you to be a whore, not a slut. Meanwhile, mommy says, you mustn't be a slut. Nothing is worse than being a slut. If people imagine that you'll have sex with them for nothing, they'll think they can use you and nothing feels worse than feeling used. So it's critically important you remember, if you give away the milk, no one will buy the cow, which is another way, honey, of my reminding you, I raised you to be a whore, not a slut. However, mommy and daddy never realize they should be clarifying that last sentence. In fact, they usually don't realize in their own minds that what they've just said is, I raised you to be a whore and not a slut. Now, if we stop and think about this, it's kind of awful. In fact, it's very awful. It brings us to a much more important thing. Do you know why men get so enraged by the other guy who is sleeping with their girlfriend or, or, or wife? They get so angry when another guy is making a move on their wife. It's because they consider their wife their property. They think that guy is getting the pussy I'm paying for, which is a sickness in our culture, a sickness. So instead of people's recognizing that they are independent, freewheeling, freely governed humans who can make their own decisions, we have taught all women that if you do what you want instead of what society explains you should be doing, you need to feel badly about yourself. You need to condemn yourself as having no self-respect. Well, if any man were told, if you do what you want to do for your own reasons, because it makes sense to you, instead of what the vast majority tell you you ought to do. That means you've got no self-respect. Any man would say, what are you talking about? That's ridiculous. My making my own decisions for myself based on my own reason proves I have self-respect. So if you come back to simple logic, if you can prove that true is equal to false, that one is equal to zero, that yes is equal to no, or any other demonstrably provable inconsistency, then you can prove anything. And women are raised to understand that if they make their own choices for themselves, leading their life their own way, then they will be condemned and need to feel badly about it themselves. They will be seen as a slut. They should punish themselves for being seen as a slut. The sexual cartel says all men must be made to pay for sex, and women who violate that are decried uniformly, and men are so stupid that they accept that the sex they don't have to pay for is not valuable. Although, in fact, many of the men I've met who are married and have been for a long time have come up with an even inter more interesting thing. They tell me the answer to a happy sex life is simply to pay for sex, and that the sex they don't have to pay for directly is always the most costly. And they're usually referring to their wife or their previous wife. <laughs> so 
I make life very easy for everyone. I say, speak your truth. Recognize that we are operating under the incompatible and inconsistent idea that women are better off pretending that they're well-behaved, pretending that they're the way they project other people are supposed to want them to be, rather than being themselves. And my take on it is that if you empower everyone to make their own decisions and not deny them any access to actual information so they can make their own decisions, then they will consistently make the best decision for themselves. And this I have observed countlessly amongst my own friends, colleagues, peers, everyone who is clear and open, obvious. So let me ask you, because I can see you're very passionate about this philosophy of life. I'm sure everyone can hear about your passion. Um, so I can think about there's a few, I guess, more practical aspects I'd like to understand. It's like, first of all, just in like the people you've seen, and maybe you've convinced some of them, you know, because you, I know you've been teaching this kind of stuff for a while. Have you met a fair amount, number of people who buy into your philosophy now? And are there communities like would some of the polyamory or some of these other communities be kind of open to this way of thinking? How receptive do you find different populations to these ideas? Let me ask you a question before I answer that. Has anything I've said not rung true in your mind? I think it's great. There's some aspects like I'd like to go into in a second that I think with different trends in society, maybe it isn't like black or white, but it's never black or white, right? Absolutely. So, so here's my, my comment. Okay, I explain to people as best I can using irrefutable arguments backed up by undeniable facts, which lead to inescapable conclusions. So this means once I have laid this stuff out, I don't have to do anything else. I can just let them have time for it to settle because these irrefutable arguments are in fact irrefutable and the undeniable facts are in fact undeniable. So the inescapable conclusions are in fact inescapable. The trouble domain is merely at the time I'm speaking with them, sometimes their ego rejects it. Their ego says, wait a second, this doesn't match with what I've always accepted is true. Therefore, this guy must be crazy. But I just let them sit with the information in their own mind until it settles. And then they can scarcely remember a time when they thought about it the previous way. So the answer is, overwhelmingly, the reception is positive because, after all, what I'm saying is as clear as what I've just said to you. There's nothing challenging about it, except that at the outset, you go, well, well, but, but how, how could it be that easy? It, it can't be that easy. But of course it is. <laughs> what I'm thinking about is a few things. I have a few ideas about how society is maybe changing and it's making the model you brought forth is, is kind of like the more traditional view. So I see women are getting more independent, for example, right? So they're making their, sometimes they're making more money than the guys, often in places like New York and so on. And the other thing I see, like when I'm looking at online dating sites, for example, like OkCupid and or the more extreme uh, sites like BDSM and Fetish and, and so on, right? People are very open. People are being very open about what they want. So people are being able to connect directly on their sexual needs in a more open fashion. I guess I'm just asking you what you think of these trends. Is like, is the world getting closer to your view over time? Have you seen that over the last 10 years? I don't know how long you've been teaching this stuff or, or talking about this stuff. I have to say about 20 years. In fact, it might have been longer than this. I've certainly been living this way since my late teens, early 20s. I am the only person I can say that I know who can sincerely say I have only ever cheated on one relationship, and it was my first relationship. I learned my lesson, and since then, I've had sex with some ridiculously staggering 
number of partners. Every single one of them knew the score, and I have not lied to any of them. And that makes me feel very good about myself. It also keeps me from having people angry with me. Yeah, so, so when you say you're not lying, if a guy at home, he's like, he's buying into this and he thinks this is a great way of living, how can he do that? If he simply doesn't want to lie, is it like, how simple is it? Could you just say like, oh, you just have to do this? It is as simple as it could possibly be. I'm not suggesting people be tactless. I'm not suggesting one overlook diplomacy because to tell someone what you actually think of their newborn baby is, <laughs> you know, but people need to believe their own things and you don't need to stomp on them no matter what. Okay. That said, speaking your own truth, recognizing that you will serve everyone better if you offer them Hobson's choice. Are you familiar with Hobson's choice? It's been a long time. I don't remember. I know the name, but... Okay. Hobson's choice is usually misunderstood as no choice, but it's absolutely not. Hobson's choice was based on a fellow named Hobson, a British fellow who ran a livery stable and rented horses. In order to give each of the horses the longest period of time to recover before being rented again, he invented first in, first out. In other words, the horses were rented in the order in which they were returned. So if you came in and you said, I don't want that one, I want that one, he said, well, the only one available is this one. If you want to wait, you might be able to get the one you want. But for all intents and purposes, you will take the one that's available, period. Or as Henry Ford said, you can have the Model T in any color you like so long as it's black. Now, of course, people think that's no choice. Absolutely not. It's not no choice. That's ridiculous. It's the only choice that matters. Take it or leave it. The only choice that matters whether or not to engage. So when you let people know exactly who you are and exactly what you want, exactly how you behave and what you are prepared to accept, and you make it clear that these are simple and straightforward and that the other person can make their own best judgments based on these truths, other people will make up their mind. The people who choose to involve themselves and accept what you're saying recognize you're going to tell them the truth and not what they want to hear. You're not going to allow them to indulge in a long-term series of denial. You're not going to encourage them to experience cognitive dissonance, knowing one thing is true and trying to pretend to themselves something else is true. You'll let them know the truth. How easy is it? Well, if you believe that you're worthwhile, it's as easy as peace, as it could be. If you believe you're not worthwhile, it's terrifying. If you buy into Marx's paradox, it's terrifying. If you believe that any woman who would go to bed with you is not good enough for you, right? which is, of course, insane. If you've ever in your lifetime gone to bed with someone who you enjoyed, for whom you did not pretend you were anything more than you were, she just liked you and wanted to go to bed with you, and then you didn't follow up with her because she was too easy, well, you are an idiot. Too easy is the most ridiculous concept of all time. In fact, guys, if you wonder why women play so many games, it's simple. Women know that the thing they least want is to feel used. Men also desperately want not to feel used. If a guy takes a girl on a bunch of dates and finally she doesn't want to go to bed with them and says, let's just be friends, the guy feels used. If the girl goes to bed with a guy who she thinks is worthwhile and he doesn't bother to return afterwards, she feels used. Nobody wants to feel used. So the women have this problem. They know that if you go out with them and they really like you and they want to hook up with you and their brain is going, I want, I want, they know that if you know they want you, you'll think that they are too easy and you won't follow up. In other words, if they go to bed with you on the first encounter, 
they can count on that you won't follow up. Therefore, if they really like you, they have to force you to go through the audition, to go through the process of multiple dates so they can see that you are invested enough to hang around. And I watch this with such frustration because the women are denying themselves things so they can get the guys to up the ante on demonstrating that they're going to hang around. The guys have therefore learned they have to pretend to be a certain way so they can get what they want. And then the girl ultimately feels used, but worse, played by a guy who has spent many hours trying to get her into bed. Then once he has, says, whew, that was fun. I've played my game. I've gotten my notch on my belt. Now I can find the next one. All this is horrifying. It helps no one. No one. Pick up artists whom I often describe as the con artists of the sexual predator domain, people who go through the effort of presenting themselves as being the way the girls feel they need them to be, just so they can get the girls to give up what they want to get from the girls, are on a never-ending treadmill. They're not in it to get laid. They're in it so they can prove to other guys how good they are at getting girls. There's no exit from this treadmill. I look at those guys with tremendous pity. Most of the people who come to me for consulting, most of the people who come to me for coaching are what I refer to as recovering pickup artists. So to me, it's a simple thing. If instead of looking at dating as an opportunity to pretend you're at your best so that the other person will choose you, if you look at dating as an opportunity to hang out with someone and get to know how much you enjoy them, and if you enjoy them enough, go to bed with them. Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of stuff there I agree with totally. I think guys. One of the problems is that they don't feel worthy, right? And I know this is something you talk about a bit, but there's a bunch of things I just want to point over that you in what you just said before we go on to that. We had the author Brad Blanton, I assume you know, oh, Radical Honesty, the book Radical Honesty. The reason I bring it up is because when you were talking about not lying and being truthful with people, you said there is a part of diplomacy. You have to be a bit diplomatic about it, a bit subtle, whereas Brad comes from a perspective where he's just very like in your face and direct. So for the guys at home, if you've seen his work, how do you compare or differ from him? I think radical honesty is a brilliant concept. I recommend it to my own clients constantly. I say, here's a very simple thing. For the next X weeks, commit to yourself to be absolutely candid. Now, what a person can learn very quickly from that is that they will alienate the hell out of the overwhelming majority of people around them. This will, in fact, be helpful because the people whom they have to pretend just in order to keep in their world will vanish, and the people who will accept them as they are will hang around. This is wonderful, a fantastic filter. However, it is my take on the world that you don't need to be savage with everyone. You don't need to be brutal. In fact, I can tell someone something entirely clear without there being any room for the possibility they failed to understand me without being radically honest in the context of speaking my mind without any interlocutor, without any massaging of things so that they will be better received. Most people's egos exist principally to protect and defend their preconceptions. So if you tell someone something that they actually need to know and will be helpful to them in a way that is too abrupt, they will simply walk away from you. It will have no effect. So my take is if you frame things in a way that allows them to take it with them without anger and allow it to process on its own time. They have a much greater benefit from it. 
I don't want to tell someone, wow, you're fat. You need to work out or you'll have a coronary and die. In fact, I can let them know that, if I believe it to be true, in a much less abrupt and difficult to accept way. I make certain they get it. <laughs> yeah, there is this like this typical situation that's always coming up in, in our coaching, and I know the guys at home, that when they're dating a girl and they either want to date other girls and they don't want to hurt her or they, they don't want to see her anymore. If you've got some good examples in which I don't have lines or approaches they could use in order to do this subtly and not too harsh on them. As I say, I sleep with pretty much all of my female friends. If I meet a new girl and it's clear we're going to be friends. See, guys say to me, how do you make things work? I say, guys, I'm never rejected because I don't walk over to someone to offer them anything. Okay. I don't walk up to a beautiful girl in a club and say, hey, check me out. I'm awesome. Look how great I am. And I don't walk up to a girl and say, oh my God, you're the hottest thing I've ever seen. I'll do anything to get with you. I walk up to a pretty girl with the intention of finding out whether I can stand her. My pickup line is the simplest thing in the world. I say, hey, I'm Johnny. What's your name? Okay. And we go from there. The truth is, since I so clearly accept myself, since I am absolutely not interested in doing anything to impress anyone else, I come across as very impressive. Something every guy's got to understand for your entire audience. Take this into account, fellas. Anytime you do anything to impress someone else, or worse, to appear impressive, you subtly subcommunicate to the other person that in your mind, their opinion of you is more important than your own opinion of yourself. And what could be a greater demonstration of low value than assigning to a total stranger that their opinion of you is more important than your opinion of you? So when I see a beautiful total stranger and I'm attracted to her because she's attractive and the attraction pulls me towards her, I go over to say hi and find out whether I can stand her. If she's awful, if she says, what do you want, fatso? Or what do you want, baldy? Or what do you want, old man? Or say, or, or something much more abrupt. I'll say, hey, honey, I don't know who pissed in your Cheerios, but it wasn't me. I just came over and make friends. So why don't we start this again? We'll rewind. Hey, I'm Johnny. What's your name? And overwhelmingly, they go, I'm so sorry. I, I, I'm sorry I was such a bitch. I say, no, no, I get it. I understand. These guys come up to you all the time. And all they can think is, how do I impress this girl? Now, I'm very clear when I meet a girl, if we're getting along well, I know that in the first five minutes, if I'm still interested in hearing what she's got to say, then two things will have happened. One is she will feel well attended by me. And the more attention you pay to a girl when she's talking about the things she's interested in talking about, the better looking you become, the more attractive you become, the longer you keep her comfortably explaining and telling you things about things she's interested in. And most of the things she's interested in are around her. So the longer you're interested, the more interesting you become, and certainly the more compelling and attractive. So if I find myself, and I'm very jaded in my old age, if I find myself talking to a girl who five minutes in, I'm still interested in what she's got to say, I recognize that it's inevitable we're going to end up in bed. And I'll say as much. I'll say, you know what? It's wonderful. I feel like we're lifelong buddies meeting for the first time. And if the girl responds positively and says, yeah, I feel that way. It's really great. We have great communication. I can feel really comfortable. I can't believe I just told you about the escorting work I was doing. I've never told anyone about that or whatever else because I'm so candid and I'm so accepting and, under, and people can sense immediately that I'm going to offer them non-judgmental acceptance, non-judgmental acceptance. What an amazing thing. And so they'll tell me their deepest, darkest secrets 
knowing that I'll accept it. And we very quickly become close friends. There is a wonderful comment I'm famous for. I tell my close friends this when it becomes clear that we will eventually line up in bed. And sometimes I'll tell a girl 15 minutes into our talking that it's so wonderful that it is now inevitable we'll wind up in bed because I don't need to, and you don't need to do anything to try and impress me. We don't need to do anything to try and prove to the other anything because I'm just going to treat it that on a long enough timeline, since it's inevitable, we'll end up in bed. I'm going to treat it like it's already happened. This way, we can both feel confident that nothing will change in our relationship when we finally do go to bed. And the girls absolutely love this. It is so powerful for them, the idea that they can have someone in their world whom they can enjoy and trust, someone who will be a straight talker, who will not do anything to try and do anything with them, but will just give them an audience, respond appropriately with interest, and communicate with them fairly and joke with them without expecting them to be princesses living in ivory towers. The girls are so happy. They lower the gateway. They lower the drawbridge. They accept me and they disarm themselves because I'm disarming by being so forthright. And they welcome me into their world. I am very famous for one line. I say to women, you know I would never fuck you over, but I would gladly fuck you over and over. And girls absolutely love it. But it has to be sincere. It can't be something you say to someone 10 minutes into the conversation. It has to be something you say to someone who actually knows and believes that you would never fuck them over. So I say this to my long-term friends, my ongoing buddies. And we end up in bed from time to time, or we end up in bed a lot. And that's great. But it's always absolutely understood that we are friends having fun with one another. Right. So you're saying that the problem is preempted. You've never had this situation come up or maybe in your earlier years. Explain which situation you're talking about. The situation where you're with a girl and you feel like she's expecting more than just being friends, right? And so you have to basically set some boundaries because you want to go and see other girls or maybe you don't want to see her anymore. One of the simplest things in the world to maintaining a happy, well-lived, satisfying and successful life is managing expectations. You have to make certain that other people do not set expectations for you that are different than the ones that you're prepared to commit to. So you let them know straightforwardly. You say, listen, this is the kind of person I am. This is the person. In fact, I say to girls all the time, look, I'm not the marrying kind. In fact, I'm not even the boyfriend kind. To be truth, I'm not even the dating kind. Here's something I'm going to give you. You're going to love. I call it the 30-minute date agenda. It is a wonderful and empowering thing for men and women alike. This is wonderful. You've met a girl online or you ran into a girl. You met her. You changed numbers. You give her a shot. You say, listen, I really want to get to know you. I really want to find out whether we have chemistry and connection. Let's get together for a date. But I have to caution you. I never kiss on the first date. And the girls find this very cute. And then I say, by the way, dates are never longer than 30 minutes. The girl goes, huh? I say, well, look, we're going to know in the first few minutes whether we have a connection. We're going to know for sure by the end of 30 minutes whether we have chemistry. If we don't, what could be worse than having the other person trying to hump your thigh like a a furtive or tumescent corgi uh, (laughs) trying to get their way when you know you aren't interested? So instead, if things aren't going the way we'd like them to be going, We can gracefully and graciously end the date, wind it down at 30 minutes and go our own way and not have destroyed the evening and not have to put up with anything we didn't enjoy. 
Now, on the other side of the coin, if there is the chemistry I expect, and if we are feeling towards one another the ways that I expect we will, we're going to know that much sooner than 30 minutes too. So we can always cut the first date short and go directly into the second date when the serious kissing can begin. Now, girls are clever. They recognize what this means. I take it one step further. I say, look, you know, I'm not one of those fast-moving guys. I almost never go to bed with a girl until the third or even fourth date. Now, girls can do math in their head, and they recognize their dates are 30 minutes long. You're saying we can be fucking within two hours. And still tell your buddies that we held out till the fourth date. And girls love this because it's so empowering. So I could go out and I meet with a girl, and we are making out seriously by 15 minutes in and leaving the venue to go back to hers or my place. And by the time we've gotten to wherever it is, we're on the third date. So it is a wonderful and powerful thing. I, I am so clear. Guys say, do you ever buy girls drinks? I say, if a girl seems sober when I meet her, then I'll certainly be glad to buy her a drink. I'd also buy a drink for any of my buddies or any guy that I enjoyed. I can afford to buy her a drink. I'll buy her a drink. If we're having a good conversation, the time comes that she might want a second drink. Bartender comes by as you want to refill on that or whatever. I say, listen, just before you take this, I'm very happy provide you with this drink but i want you to know that accepting a second drink implies consent and the girls go what i'll say no, no no it's not what you think we're having a great time and if things go the way that we both hope they will we're going to end up together but i know that after you have a second drink you can no longer be said to be able to make consent decisions so i just want to know now that before we go any further that if you're having more drinks and enjoying yourself and things end up with our wanting to go to bed together, that that was your intention. This is not a commitment. If you don't choose to come home with me, that's totally fine. I just want to know now, while you're sober, that this is your intent. And the girls think, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> Do they not laugh? <laughs> of course they laugh, but they think it's the coolest thing they've ever heard. And I say to the bartender or whatever, please bring her Singapore sling, but please have the vodka in a sidecar. And so the drink will get brought and the girl will look at the booze, look at me, look at the drink it's going to be poured into and with full comprehension, pour the booze into her drink and start drinking it. Now, here's an interesting thing. When a girl has decided she's having a good time with you, that you are not going to condemn her for going to bed with you, that she's not going to have to feel regret for having ended up in bed with you. She would much rather be fucking than drinking. So usually they take a sip of the drink and say, let's get out of here. In other words, I do not remember having to buy a third drink for anybody <laughs> because as soon as a girl recognizes I'm going to get laid, she doesn't want to waste time. She wants to do it. I imagine you've discovered this on your own. Yeah, I can see some similarities uh, between your approach and mine. On one of them, like I'm really interested in is you said you bring up the subject where you're friends with girls and you're not necessarily going to get into a relationship, right? So you're not setting that false expectation. Is there anything you say in, in this process up to now or maybe afterwards to just let them know that we're going to be great friends, but if your expectations are higher than that in terms of getting into a relationship or something, then it doesn't quite fit with my lifestyle or you know whatever your situation is. I was actually just about to show you on my telephone, which I can't because I'm using it for this Skype call, uh, the background on my phone, which is of me and Violet, which is an unmistakably intimate and very, very nice photo. Every girl I meet knows I'm in a long-term committed relationship with my best friend. And of course, 
I point out to them that it's good news. That's great. That's very subtle, actually, right? My take on it is very clear. I want women to understand the score. If I were, quote unquote, single, I would still make sure that girls knew there were other girls. I told you rule one of my two rules. Every girl has to have other male playmates. Rule two is equally important. Rule two is every girl must commit to do her best to get along with my other playmates. This means no cattiness, no competitiveness, no rivalry. Just recognize that the same paradigm applies to everyone. So if they get to be my friend, they've got something going for them. Look for that. Don't worry about having exclusive access to me. Nobody gets it. It is not on the table. So two rules. I won't be any woman's only supplier of cock. And every girl must commit not to compete or give a hard time to any of my other female playmates. This doesn't necessarily mean they have to go to bed with my other female playmates and me, but it usually ends up that way. Now, here's the kicker. Here's the thing that's not obvious. It's really cool. Every single time one of my secondaries hooks up with a new guy, the overwhelming likelihood is that not that new guy will have accepted the paradigm that this girl has other playmates. He will have accepted that he does not need to own her, that he's not paying for her pussy. Therefore, he doesn't have to worry about other people's enjoying it. And so as soon as a guy shows up in her world who is cool enough, she knows she has the obligation to have other playmates. She also knows that all of her friends who are also my playmates have the same obligation. So she immediately invites them to come to bed with her and her new playmate. So any guy who's fortunate enough to date any girl that I'm involved with ends up sleeping with all of my female friends. <laughs> Because after all, any guy who's cool enough to accept women for who they are without judgment, without hostility, without any ego collision causing him to think there's something wrong with me because I'm not her only choice, I'm just the choice she consistently makes, any guy who's not comfortable with that gets flushed out very quickly. But any guy who is comfortable with that gets to live like I do, which I have to say is glorious. This is great, Johnny. Uh, we're running out of time. I think you've got a lot to say, so maybe we can get you on in a, on a second interview really soon, if you'd like that. If the feedback from your audience suggests it, I would gladly do it. I'm having a lot of fun. Excellent, excellent. There's one thing, well, there's a, there's a few things. We've got some lightning round questions, we call them, just before the end. And there's also, you brought up something where, a bit earlier in the interview, which I meant to bring out, is where you talked about the guy knowing if he wants to go forward with a girl or not, right? Mm -hmm. And you spoke, he's just going to know if he should go forward with this girl based on how she's interacting with him and so on. Does that mean that he has to do some pre-work on his standards? Is that something or what he feels acceptable? Because what I find when I'm talking to a lot of guys is they don't have a very, very clear image of what they actually want from women or what they want in relationships. So I'm wondering if this is the type of thing you find yourself doing work with. I tell guys, don't worry about what you want. If you choose what you want, you're setting yourself up to be disappointed. Instead, consider what you'd like. Don't go out looking for what you want, because what you want is very outcome dependent. Go out for what you'd like. What you'd like would be a girl who you enjoy, a girl you're aroused by, a girl who appreciates you. These are simple things and can be found in a huge world of people. If the girl attracts you enough that you want to put your penis in her, and she would like you to put your penis in her, it's a win. If there's something wrong with her and you would not want to spend time with her except she's really hot and you'd like to put your penis in her, find someone better. 
at the end of the day, no one in the world can say that girl's a three and that girl's a two. Okay? It's really about whether or not you would go to bed with them or not. The original scale should be zero, I wouldn't fuck them. One, I could fuck them. Two, I'd like to fuck them. And three, they wouldn't fuck me. Now, when you realize there's no such thing as a category of women who wouldn't fuck you, just individuals who wouldn't fuck you, then you throw away category three entirely. And now it's just, I wouldn't, I could, and I'd like to. Usually by this point, you've realized that there's no point in going to bed with someone you could, because you could be going to bed with someone you'd like to. So it ultimately becomes, I'd like to, and I wouldn't. A binary scale. And a girl can switch from being an absolutely I wouldn't to certainly I would in very, very few small steps. But a girl can switch from being an absolutely I would to I certainly wouldn't with one sentence out of her mouth. Okay. So as soon as you have enough respect for yourself that you're only going to do things that work for you, that you're only going to have sex with people where you'd like to, and if for whatever reason she switches from being a one to a zero, you go, oh, well, I guess I'll go and find something else I'd like. Stop setting yourself up with particulars of what you need. Stop worrying about what other people think about your playmates, because at the end of the day, it's your penis that must become erect. If you are turned on by her, enjoy. It's a funny thing. For a man, we require an almost mystical combination of things in order to find a woman arousing enough to want to have sex with her. She must simultaneously be attractive enough looking and appear willing. Attractive enough, looking, and appear willing. That's pretty much enough to get any guy good to go as a general rule of thumb. So as soon as you realize that there will be plenty of women who are attractive enough looking, and if you're a quality man, many of them will very, very quickly become willing. So why in the world would you waste your energy on someone who didn't come across that way? So as you were saying that, I was thinking of like a different way to express it in that just if they're in front of a woman and they feel like they're attracted to her. So just paying more attention to themselves rather than, I think you were saying like get away from the ego where they're thinking about other things. They're, they're really not just focused on themselves. So, you know, if I feel attracted to her, good. But also your second question is, am I enjoying her company or is she annoying for me? Right. You start out with the simplest thing in the world. You walk up to the girl not to impress her, not because you need the validation that she'll give you by being into you or whatever, you go up to find out whether or not she's someone you could enjoy. Turns out, if she's someone you could enjoy, the odds are very good you'll end up in bed together because she's looking for someone she can enjoy too. And the hardest thing in the world for a girl to find is a guy who treats her like a person. What do you think is the question least heard by beautiful women? That's not a question I'm stating. The sentence, what do you think? is the question least often heard by beautiful women. If guys actually asked girls what they thought, not in the sense of an opinion opener, but literally asked girls, what do you think about this? And let the girls run on telling them what they think. The guys would quickly find out two things. One, girls love it when someone's actually interested in what they've got to say. And secondly, they'll find out whether or not they like the girl doesn't matter how hot she is. If she spends her time working on KKK rallies, odds are pretty good you aren't going to want to go to bed with her. So when you recognize that every single girl that you're friends with, every single girl who thinks of you as a friend, if you have at no point bent 
to the point where she realizes you'll do anything for her and therefore you no longer have the potential to run herd on her. One thing women cannot stand is a man who will bend. You must be rigid in your boundaries. As soon as she knows you are, she'll respect you. And a woman can only be aroused by a man she respects. So if a girl asks you for something absolutely out of the question, oh, listen, I was thinking we should go to my company Christmas party. It's a, it's a, it's a fancy dress, a costume party. I was thinking we would go as ballerinas. I've got your tutu picked out and everything. If it's something that would make you uncomfortable, you say, look, honey, that is something I wouldn't be comfortable with. And if she says, oh, come on, it'll be fun. You'll have such a good time. The more she tries to manipulate you to get a yes, the more you must be adamantine in your response. But you can say something much more important. You can say, look, babe, if it matters that much to you, if you'll ask me to do this for you as a favor, I'm down. I will overcome my hesitation. Just ask. All you have to do is ask. So what you're asking for from her is a contract of appreciation. You're saying, I will compromise for you because it's you, but you must appreciate that this is what I'm doing. You can't just push me into it. I'm not just allowing you to herd me into something I don't want. And the girl will go, oh, no, it's not that important to me. <laughs> if it is important enough, she'll ask and she'll appreciate that you've made this exception for her and it's for her and she'll love you for it. But if you just let her push you around, you stop being sexy boyfriend material and you start becoming hubby material. In other words, you start setting yourself up to be the sponsor who provides her security without impinging on her freedom. Every man grows up knowing that he either can pursue freedom, which has no safety net, or security. Security is doing what you're supposed to, getting the approval of other people. We crave approval the way women crave security. So every boy grows up knowing it's a choice, either freedom or security. Well, every girl understands from childhood that security is the most important thing in the world, and she's raised to think that security comes in the form of a sponsor, someone to underwrite her security. So every girl stupidly thinks, first I nailed on my security, and then I'll go looking for my freedom, instead of recognizing the truth, which is there's no such thing as security. There's only what you can do to keep yourself strong and alive. And when you know that it comes entirely from yourself, you become free. Same for men. That's a great quote, that last sentence. Thank you. In fact, I'm very proud of it. If you were to look at my Facebook page for Johnny Soporno, it says, there's a picture of me standing in front of a large crowd explaining that a boy doesn't become a man until he overcomes his fear of disapproval. And a man cannot be free until he overcomes that craving for approval in the first place. And that a girl doesn't become a woman until she stops feeling the need to lie to her sponsor in order to ensure her security. And a woman doesn't become free until she realizes that her security can only come from herself, period. So as I say, my work is to enlighten men and empower women. Because an empowered woman who knows she's with an enlightened man recognizes that she can choose what she'd like, which would in fact be having sex with him right now, without his condemning her for it. Think about the number of women who you know believe they must play hard to get because otherwise they won't be able to catch the man. I'd be interested in your take on this. I've lived around the world and I see extremes of what you're saying, right? Different places I see, right? For instance, in Asia, there's more hard, playing hard to get going on. 
it's just in the nature of it, nature over it there, you know, and in some other places in America and uh, Latin countries and so on. Sometimes it can be more straightforward. So I just wondering, and then I brought this up also with the trends, just like in terms of where you see things are going, if they're getting more open in, in your terms of the world or not. So I'd just be interested from your perspective, if you've seen different geographies or different cultures, and if you've seen things change over time. It's a wonderful thing. I'm an old man. I'm 46, as I said. And I, I mean, I'm actually a fully qualified, dirty old man, which means that I've not only been to bed with women less than half my age, I've actually been to bed with a couple of girls less than half my age at the same time whose combined age and combined weight was less than mine. Um, anyways, to be, to be more straightforward, I have traveled the globe and brought girls to bed where we did not share any of the same language even, so there was no point in exchanging phone numbers. One of the fascinating things is that you quickly discover that if you are far enough outside of the culture of the area in which you are, girls will recognize that the rules that they need to apply to guys from their community regarding teaching those guys that they are worth paying for don't apply. So if you are a white man in the Far East, for instance, girls will go to bed with you because you won't count. You simply don't count. When they count their number of partners, they don't include you. You were just a friend. Women have a wonderful way of logically equivocating. A girl will think, oh, no, we didn't have sex. I just gave him a blowjob on the way back from the theater. Or, oh, no, we didn't have sex because we used a condom. It wasn't real sex because we used a condom. Or they'll say, oh, no, we didn't have sex because it was a threesome. It was him and his girlfriend, so you don't have to count that. So they can keep their number low enough. So they could admit to a small enough number, which is, of course, insane on the face of it, because firstly, no man should care what the number of partners his partner has had, except for if it's zero, because then he's got a responsibility to do things a different way. But if men were more mature about it, they'd realize you don't go to a hairstylist who's never cut hair before. You don't get your teeth drilled by a dentist who's never worked on someone's teeth before. The more sex the girl has had for fun, enjoying the sex, the better the sex becomes. Here's an interesting thing. Violet, as a porn star, lots of guys have said, oh, my God, you hook up with that girl. She gets paid for sex, and, and, and she has sex with guys with dicks as big as your arm with an apple in the palm. How, she's got to be totally loose. And it's so funny. When you go to the, the gym and you watch the guys working out, curling 60-pound weights, and you look at their muscles as they're all flabby and loose. Oh, wait, no, that's not true. Muscles used repetitively under load get to be better and stronger. They don't get looser and softer. Somehow guys forget that the vag is a muscle group. Thank you for blowing that myth up. That's <laughs> <laughs> my best. So I can tell you, yes, Violet is by far the most entertaining sex I've ever had. She is muscularly, insanely talented. I often joke that she could open a beer bottle vaginally. She wouldn't because it would be uncomfortable for her, but her muscle strength suggests she probably could do a twist off. Anyway, enough about that. Your question is, as I've traveled the world, have I discovered that things have changed? Absolutely. Prince and Madonna and the entire hip-hop culture have helped women to understand it's okay to be sex positive. It's okay to want sex. It's okay to have sex. It's okay to let other people know you're sexual. The world has really changed in the last 15 or 20 years. And I personally am delighted by it. When I was a kid, there wasn't even vaginas in Playboy. The idea of a blowjob was a big deal. Whereas these days, a girl almost certainly has oral sex, 
usually long before she has any other sort. One of the fascinating things I found is when I traveled to different cultures, when I was in uh, Islamabad or Karachi in Pakistan, or I mean, in, in, in the more oppressive societies, the girls are very happy to have sex. And they learn to be tremendously orgasmic through anal because they keep their vag so they can still be virgins technically when they get married. They give wicked blowjobs and are huge on tit-fucking and huge on anal because they enjoy it since they can't really use their internals vaginally. Now, of course, I know that for some of these women, this is a lifestyle that they can't escape. They know that if they're not a virgin when they get married, they could be beheaded. So this is true in Spain and Italy and Roman cultures because somehow, as uh, this local band, I can't remember they called them, Garfunkel and Oates, I think, like Colin Oates, the less well-known one, and Simon Garfunkel, this girl band, they have a song called The Loophole, in which they talk about anal sex is the sex that God can't see. You can't have vaginal sex. Anyways, as you say, internationally, when you travel, girls still are exactly the same. They want a man who demonstrates the following four or five simple things. Every woman wants a man who clearly loves and respects himself, who equally clearly adores women, who's interested in her as an individual, not just attracted to her, but interested in her. And finally, is comfortable enough and confident enough to lead them both on adventures she would enjoy, ideally without having to ask her what they are. Any girl in the world will say, oh yes, that's exactly what I want. A guy who loves and respects himself, adores women, is interested in me as a person, and is comfortable enough and confident enough to lead. Sounds like the simplest combination in the world, right? And it describes about 5% of men. Most men don't love themselves and don't respect themselves. Many of those men, therefore, have no love or appreciation of women. They have no ability to find women interesting because they don't even see them as people. And they cannot and will not lead because they have no confidence in where they should be going. It's a solvable problem, but it begins with people recognizing they have to get to a place where when they were to meet someone like themselves, if they met themselves, the question, would you like to be that person's friend, must be, fuck yeah. So a person has to make peace with or correct any aspect of themselves that stops them from being a person who, if they met, they would go, fuck yeah, I want that guy as my friend. So giving yourself the same slack you give to your real friends, if you have any characteristics that would be deal breakers, if you think about yourself and you're, yeah, but I bullshit a lot, that would be a deal breaker. Well, stop fucking bullshitting. Jesus, don't expect other people to be your friend if you wouldn't be your own friend. Like I said, loyalty begins with oneself. So if, if you tend to become an alpha pretender as soon as women are around you, start putting down your buddies and you wouldn't accept that from, from a friend of your own, stop doing it. When you think about things that you do, that you do allow your other friends to do. The ones you cut slack to your actual friends for, you can cut slack to yourself too. And if you can fix them in yourself, you should look at your friends and help them to fix them in themselves. But the truth is, until you are someone you would want as a friend, you will always look at a woman as something unattainable and something you need to have to complete yourself. And guys, I promise you, any man who feels incomplete without a woman will never find a woman because a woman needs a man to be complete before she wants to attach herself to him. Angel, does that sound right? A woman wants a man who is complete 
to attach yourself to? Absolutely. Let's wrap it up on this note. I know, I know again that you got a lot of uh, great stuff there because I've, I've gone through your work and there's a lot more to it. Um, so where would be the best place for people to connect with you and learn more about some of the stuff you do? MaritalArts.com is just getting built up. I expect it will ultimately be a portal to a whole bunch of the affiliated life coaching and relationship management stuff. But Marital Arts will take people to me and they can find stuff from there. Of course, they can go to johnnysaporno.com or if you Google Johnny Saporno, you'll get about 500,000 hits. Most of them are me, which I'm pretty proud of. But the best place to look for, for me, is successfulness.com. Interestingly enough, I have the international trademark in North America. I'm now working on Europe for the word successfulness because it turns out it's not technically a word. So I have defined it and I offer workshops and coaching programs, both direct, in person, and online. And successfulness.com will take you to all sorts of my stuff, including about 10 hours of my free lecture and seminar videos and uh, ways to find me on Facebook and other social media. Anyone who's looking to find me on Facebook, just look for Johnny Soporno. I have a whole bunch of accounts because they limit you to 5,000 contacts per. So I've, I've got five or six accounts. I love my work. I'm very passionate about it, as you've seen, because I'm about the happiest guy I've ever met. And I do my best to make that happiness infectious because there isn't any reason that anyone else should not be happy basically all the time. There is no reason anyone needs to feel like a loser because feeling like a loser is what makes a person a loser. It's not the other way around. A person is as great as they conceive themselves to be where they fix their problems, come up with a desired goal, set their expectations and manage them so they never feel disappointed in themselves and they never have to live with other people's feeling disappointed in them. And then happiness and ongoing self-satisfaction is a no-brainer. So please, if you have the time, go and read what I call the keys to successfulness, which is on my successfulness.com page. It will make things clear. Great, great. Thank you so much for that. There's lots of resources there for the guys to follow up with your stuff. Who besides yourself would you recommend for high-quality advice in dating, sex, relationships, the whole area? I have a bunch of really terrific colleagues and peers, people that I refer people to all the time. Uh, Zan Pirian is absolutely brilliant. His- I noticed some similarities. Oh, we're great friends. We're, he is my brother from another mother, as they say. Um, my very dear friend, Jamie Smart, who wrote the book Clarity and teaches what are referred to as the three principles, which are an absolutely invaluable asset to anyone who's interested. Check out his book Clarity or go to clarity.com or look up jamiesmart.com. Uh, he's a very brilliant fellow and a great man. I also have nothing but positive things to say about my friend uh, Hypnotica, Eric. His work is brilliant. For guys who are looking actually to have feet on the ground, pick up girls, be comfortable enough and confident enough to go and start a conversation with them, I absolutely would recommend both my friend Sasha Daygame and uh, Adam Lyons, also as AFC Adam. I get these fellas to come into Las Vegas each January for my very famous, now in its ninth year, week-long lifestyle reboot workshop, which is uh, actually, when we get off this call, I'd love to have you uh, come and participate. I'd be delighted if you wanted to be a speaker. I'm happy to pay your flights and accommodations and have you attend. That's very nice of you. Because you will, it'll blow your mind and you'll have a great time with it. And I believe you've got some fantastic insights to share. 
we do this every January, usually right around the adult video convention, because, well, that's when Vegas is the most fun and because I've got to be there for my consultancy practice in that industry regardless. I would think that uh, if you're looking for... That's already a great list. Yeah, yeah. there's some, all the people I consider fantastic, guys like Brent Smith and his lifestyle coaching, absolutely top rate. The guys I deal with, my friends are my friends because they're quality guys, guys who know and accept themselves and don't feel they have anything left to prove. And that is the most impressive characteristic a person can display, accepting yourself and recognizing you don't have anything left to prove. Boy, is that inspiring to other people. That one thing can make a big difference. So any of you a chance to kind of summarize or maybe you'll pull something else out. But the last question is, what are your top three recommendations for guys starting out in this whole area? They kind of feel they're, they're at zero and they want to improve this whole area as fast as possible. What would be your top three takeaways? Most important things. First, the only relationships that have a potential to last are the relationships that require no work. Your relationship with your best friend requires no work. A relationship with a woman where it requires no work is the ideal relationship. That's one where she accepts you for who you are because you're clearer and present and obvious and she can trust you because you've given her nothing but the truth as you see it. And let me tell you, fellas, boy, will she respect and admire you for that. The second thing is never lie to women. I don't care what the urge is, but never tell them anything that is demonstrably untrue. You can massage things, make them more polite, more tactful, but make sure you're not misunderstood because guys, when you get off in some girl's mouth, you're going to pass out and you don't want to be helpless and defenseless when she has any reason to be angry with you. On a serious note, the real reason for it is because it just makes your life hell having to try and pretend to be the way that you've pretended to be all along when it wasn't really you is a nightmare. Be yourself as you are. Become a person that you want to have as a friend. And other people will want to have you as a friend too. I guess the third major takeaway, if you want to learn the simplest aspects of pickup techniques, the idea of being able to confidently walk up to a girl and start a conversation with her without accepting all the baggage of your ego saying, oh, no, no, if she wants someone better than you, someone smarter, someone taller, if you want to get to comfort with that place, do check out the work of uh, Sasha Daygame or AFC Adam, Adam Lyons. These guys both have excellent stuff to give a person an immediate ability to go forward confidently and give it a try. And what you'll learn very, very quickly is that a girl's not being into you isn't a big deal. There are three and a half billion of them. You don't have time to sleep with all of them. So just worry about sleeping with the ones that you enjoy and you want to sleep with. Most guys in the pickup industry are looking for someone to tell them what to do. Myself and my colleagues, we're trying to help people learn how to be. I don't teach anyone what to do. I tell people constantly, you could follow me around for a month modeling me, listening to and watching every expression, listening to every single word you hear me say and mimic it. And you would not get the same results that I get because my work is not about teaching routines. It's about teaching a person to become comfortable enough with themselves that other people will accept whatever they have to say so long as they mean it. 
I do end up saying an awful lot of the same things. But I don't consider emancipating women by helping them recognize that the whole sluts versus whores paradigm is utterly self-destructive and completely dehumanizing to everyone. So I'll step through that with women, and there are three kinds of responses from girls. The first kind is, oh my God, you're absolutely right, I've been wasting my life, but where in the world am I going to find a guy who understands this? And then she recognizes that she's looking at a guy who understands this, which is actually a very good thing. The second kind is the girl who says, yes, I'm so glad you get this. This is so true. Why don't other guys get this? And the answer is, I'm working on it. And that is also true. And they recognize I'm on their side and they can do with me anything they choose without having to feel judged, without having to feel any negative aspect. And the third kind is the girl whose ego rejects it and says, no, 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 that's crazy talk. That can't be true. And I say, no worries. If you can't accept what I'm saying now, I understand. But if you ever see me again and you'd like to discuss it, please come on over. And overwhelmingly, those ones, once their ego has settled down and their unconscious, subconscious steps through the things I've explained to them, they start to recognize it's true and they come looking for me. And they come and say, hey, we were talking a few weeks ago or a couple of days ago. You had this to say about this. I say, oh, great. And we start talking and they're entirely now in a new camp. They look at me as their liberator. They recognize I have emancipated them from a lifetime of being hard on themselves and beating themselves up for wanting to do the things that they wanted to do, or worse, for actually doing the things they wanted to do, and then pretending they didn't, pretending they were good girls because that was the right thing to do. Fellas, take my advice. If you empower women to do what they want, if they recognize from you, they will receive non-judgmental acceptance. Women will be as naughty as they feel they can get away with, and it will blow your mind how naughty they want to be. That's a great note to finish on. Thank you so much for your time today, Johnny. Absolutely a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to doing this further if, if it turns out people want to hear more from me. Take control of your dating life today. Take one idea or one insight from today's episode and apply it today. Don't wait. Do it today. That's all it takes to change your life, step by step, episode by episode. Learn more about what I, Angel Donovan, and my team do at DatingSkillsReview.com. How we help men like you take control of their dating lives.